This week, The Five Doctors. Written by Terrence Dix. Directed by Peter Moffat. No relation. A fandom is some of his memories, you know. A podcast even more so. listening to Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story. We're a polyamorous husband and wife taking a critical, often sociopolitical look at all eras of Doctor Who. This podcast often contains spoilers, naughty language, and general disregard for most things Stephen Moffat and other adult content. A kind of a philosophical note than a joke, but uh Well you get the reference, right? Yes, yes okay. I do. Yay, Doctor Who Five Doctors So welcome, this is episode seventy eight, Voice Spaceman, a Doctor Who Love Story. And today we've gotten to the twentieth anniversary. Broadcast in the United States on November third, nineteen eighty three. Broadcast in the UK two days later. Are you serious? I am serious. Wow. Something of a point of contention, as you can imagine. Man, that'd be like complete heresy. Yeah. Can you imagine if the United States had gotten Time of the Doctor before Britain did? There's a part of me that wants to say yes, just to be ornery. But, you know, I I really... Or Day of the Doctor. The, the, the honestly, the I think fandom, American fandom, would have just as much an issue with that as British fandom would. You know, like... What? We should not get this first? No, no, no. This is the BBC. You know, this is not the way things work. It does happen that, like, American movies, you know, mm-hmm. like, will sometimes premiere overseas first in, like, different markets, you know? So it's not like, but, I mean, this is, this is, this is state-run television. I mean, essentially, the BBC is run by taxes. I mean, yeah. essentially, the license fee is a tax on British people. Yeah. That goes to, to and fund I, this. So. And I think that that's... That would be probably the biggest issue. Um, uh, but yeah, I think um, premieres are bigger now. I mean, I, I guess the only difference I would say is, you know, we get Comic-Con now. Right. So we'll, we'll get to see the airing of, you know, this or that script or this or that five minute or five second rather teaser before we get a 15 second teaser 12 minutes before people in the other parts of the world did what and if you're sitting at hall h you get yeah. it yeah no, who cares um anyway so this is episode 78 we are doing the five doctors and we're also doing the king's demons today it's true in fact it's already been done in a bit of timey-wimey magic yeah, so uh, basically what I did was we watched the uh, King's Demons. I knew we wouldn't have much to say about it. So we went ahead and just recorded that. It's going to be integrated into this episode. And it's going to happen right after I say, because I forgot to say it at the beginning of uh, the little segment we did earlier, that it was uh, written by Terrence Dudley and directed by Tony Virgo. So the King's Demons. <sighs> yes. The King's Demons. We uh, just finished watching this um, maybe ten minutes ago. Uh, it's you know I was gonna do a whole I was gonna do a whole spaceman on this. Believe it or not. Um, I I mean I could see going into more of it, but like 
really, I have a couple main things to say. Okay. Or a couple main things, not mean things. Um, <laughs> what did you think of the King's Demons? Was it, did you find it entertaining or? I have gotten to the point in our watching of Doctor Who where I, I see an episode like this and I say, oh, they're going to spend money on something. So we're back in a period drama because the BBC has all these lovely costumes <laughs> that they can reuse. Uh, and castles. I, this is this is kind of theme park history for for. Yeah. Britain. I mean, this isn't a sense of like. I mean, that's kind of what people say about it. It's kind of the standard thing is this isn't really trying to engage with history. This is like going back and like, oh look, it's King John and you know the Magna Carta and you know it's, it's this you know oh look this is this was our past you know. And, uh, well, and I feel like in America it would be almost like setting it on the background of the JFK assassination. But as far as you get into it as, oh, the master's trying to stop the assassination. You know, it's right. some big point in history that we know, like the Magna Carta. I, I, the master is going to stop the Magna Carta somehow. It's more like he's going to, like, July 4th, 1776 or something. Yeah. Like, trying, like, if the Americans don't sign the Declaration of Independence, the uh, birth of American democracy will not happen. Yeah, exactly. And the whole history of the world will be changed. And it's kind of, um,. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason that people parody this kind of thing. Yeah, know? and it's um, not necessarily that that's bad. It's just... It's only two parts, and you got to give it that. I do know? give it that. Um, and it's not that it's bad, but it definitely has a feeling of the idea came before the writing of the episode. Where, like, I, I am imagining, like, a writer's room, and the producer just walks by, yells, Magna Carta this week, guys! <laughs> and closes the door, and they say, well, thank God it's only a two-parter. This was the season finale in 1983. Honestly, in context, that makes this make more sense to me, because it is, you know, whenever we get a season finale, the, the plot is secondary. <laughs> you know, it's... I mean, it's such a little story. I mean, not just as it's two parts, but it just it doesn't, there's not... I mean, I guess it's the Master coming back, and that's supposed to be a big deal. Although, <laughs> this is the era in which they basically anagram the Master... Um, you know, the, the name is always an anagram of, of Master in some ways. And then, uh... What was his name? I don't remember what it was in this one. Um, I don't have my phone on me, so I can't look it up for you. Whatever. Yeah, and I, I guess what I'm really saying is, like, um, I didn't know for sure it was the Master, but, um, you know, it was clear only one person was wearing a ton of face makeup, so, <laughs> right. like, that person's gonna have a... a a character change at some point. There were some elements you liked about this. The the elements I liked, I, I, and I know that this is against what everybody else in the world probably thinks. I loved that hideous sweater, coat, kimono, sleeve, felt fuzzy thing that Tegan was wearing, and I want one. So I'm sure many people thought it was ugly. Um, Living in Michigan, it's definitely a... You, you have a different response to warm-looking clothes here. Yeah, I'm like, God, that looks so warm. It, it is winter here, so, you know. Uh, you know, I think that there are a few times where there there are many good moments of just Tegan being the voice of reason. Yep. Of, like, why aren't we getting out of this situation? But what are, what are we doing here, Doctor? This is, yeah. this is an old, cold castle. I don't like it here. Why are we in medieval England instead of going off somewhere interesting? What exactly is going on? Which is kind of, I mean, my response to some of these historicals you kind of run into. Right. Um, and then I think, um, apparently at some point in 
uh, Turlo being separated from them, uh, he had some character information added, which, you know, I, I missed, or maybe it wasn't there. Um, but in the second part, clearly at the end, he is talking about his home world and, I mean, I guess because the Black and White Guardian have been dealt with and that storyline is over, the fact that Turlo is still there, there's an understanding like, oh, okay, they know his backstory now. Well, at the end of Enlightenment, I mean, the Doctor's like, oh, let's go take Turlo back to his home planet. I mean, so so this okay. isn't something that's that's new. It's so just we, we so, it, it, basically we just assume that everyone knows that Turlo isn't from Earth by this point and we just kind of move on i mean this this the, yeah. the, the, this does come back to the we never really get turlo's backstory until his last story idea you know yeah um but i thought the the separation of them was interesting this was the first time i could not remember who the next companion was and you told me you're like we're getting another companion i'm like oh yeah and i know i know this is a weird one and i could not remember and then we get the big reveal of and i was like oh chameleon yeah and honestly <laughs> i just and, and this is the bad side of having watched the 50th anniversary specials before seeing some of this right is i think of Basically, in my head, there's, like, a clip reel of all the people talking in that 50th anniversary special about, like, oh, what Chameleon was supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and that kind of, like, oh, it just turned into this masterful annoyance. Um, but he is very pretty when he shows up. Uh, I, I totally get that aspect of being able to say, wow, we have a C-3PO in Doctor Who. Chameleon is sort of an attempt to do canine again. Yeah. To do like a canine for the eighties. It's actually a robot. It had like a little tape cassette player inside him and he could you could actually like record things right. and program. So the idea is that you can actually kind of program the robot to act on screen instead of having to have like a controller. And if this then I think this story was like the guys who designed and programmed the robot like died in a car crash or something. And um, essentially, they end up with this prop, and they have no one who knows how to operate it. Like, it literally is just... So it's just like an object that sits there. It never really worked. It's actually supposed to be in another story, like, briefly. And they just cut the scenes, like, after shooting it. They just cut it out completely. And then uh, Chameleon's in one more story, the story where he leaves, which we will be covering that one, and we'll cover it when we get there. Okay. Um, The only reason I showed you this story was so that we could introduce Chameleon, essentially. Um, and I get that. Um, I think the other interesting moment is that I'm going to talk about this because we just watched it, but... Just the kind of behind the scenes for, for the audience. I mean, normally when we record, we watch, like, on a Thursday, and then we record the next day or something. You know, we typically have, like, a day of, like, let it settle, process time, you know, I make notes and all that sort of thing. And we will do that for the Five Doctors, um, which you're already listening to that episode because this is going to be embedded into that episode. But, uh. Magic! Yeah, it's timey wimey. But, um, the whole, uh, this was literally just, we're gonna talk for five minutes about chameleons, so let's just do it now and not have to worry about it later. So. Right, and, uh, the only other thing that I thought was kind of an interesting writing moment is, so, the way that chameleon is controlled is by whoever is asserting their real will mm -hmm. the strongest. And the TARDIS, so you're seeing, like, the super, like, constipated stare fight between the Doctor and the Master, because how else do you look like you're concentrating at somebody except for kind of look like you're trying to poop? <laughs> um, and so they're like, oh, I'm controlling, oh, I have the will. And as soon as the TARDIS lands, Chameleon turns 
into Tegan. And I know that the writers were probably thinking, oh, it shows that the doctor's will is stronger because the second that Tegan lands, he has like a boost in confidence or something, or he knows he's he's won. It's such a weird moment that it becomes Tegan. But for me, it's like the TARDIS lands and immediately Chameleon's like, shit, Tegan's got more fucking willpower than anybody. I'm turning into her. I mean, it's the same thing. And they don't, I, I'm assuming they never address that. No, no, no. Remember Mariner, like, in, in Enlightenment, you know, he's, like, obsessed with Tegan because she's got this strong personality. So, I mean, it is, like, this meta-narrative about Tegan, like, that's happening here towards the end of her tenure, which I think is great. She's so great, and I I did not understand why you loved Tegan so much, but I've literally not seen any of her. But I get it now. I mean... Most of what I like about this this story is Tegan, um, <laughs> and the fact that Tegan I mean, makes this watchable. I, I'll she say that, she yeah. doesn't get to even be in a lot of it, but she is constantly. I just keep thinking about how many times, despite all this crazy shit that's going on, like ooh Magna Carta, ooh King Ron, she's just kind of sitting there and is like, "Are we done finishing this yet? Can't we just fix the damn thing? I'm cold." <laughs> I'm cold. Just fit, doctor. You're gonna figure it out. Figure it out faster because I'm cold. And she, I mean, she, it's winter in Michigan, so she, I just maybe I felt for her a little extra. I was like, yeah, fucking, fucking a Tegan. You're right. Let's get shit done and go back inside. Where I can, it's I can only imagine if I was taking you somewhere and I was like, no, we're gonna go outside and hang out at like a rent fair for a little while in the middle of Michigan, and you're like, I'm fucking cold, you asshole. Let's Isn't go this to the cool? theater. It's really cool. No, it's not cool. We're going. Yeah, I can. I can see that. Yeah. Speaking of which, do they have rent fairs in the UK? I, I think that's it's the medieval theme park thing. I think that that's sort of like it's sort of the same okay. concept, but they don't call it a rent fair. They just you know it's a different. I don't know. Yeah. So one of our British listeners should should write in and tell us about like what the Jack. Tell me. So uh, the the one sorry thing... <laughs> to solo out Jack all the time, but he appreciates it too much. Yeah. So uh, I did. Uh, I, I did ask him. Actually, I was talking to him because I actually recorded a podcast with him. Uh, earlier, two podcasts with him technically <laughs> earlier in the week or last week, and um, I, I had the chance kind of afterwards to ask him because I told him I was watching this, and I said the one like thing that we could talk about is like the treatment of King John in this because the plot kind of revolves around King John not being as terrible a guy as you know history kind of portrays him as being. And I asked Jack, I was like, I kind of don't know this enough to, like, are they trying to say something? And uh, his response was, yeah, whatever. And when Jack Graham doesn't have an opinion about the politics of a story, you know, it's kind of uh, pointless yeah. to, to think so, about it. So it, um, I think his two comments were, uh, King John is a cartoon lion, you know? <laughs> yes. And, uh, who sucks and his thumb. Who sucks his thumb. And uh, all the medieval kings are kind of bastards and they're all kind of the same anyway. And uh, the people around King John forced him to sign the Magna Carta. So the plot doesn't really make any sense because it revolves around the idea that the Doctor knows this can't be really King John because King John was a decent man. That's probably the most interesting thing about the King's Demons is that kind of conflict between like kind of the reality of King John and the way it's portrayed. But I have no idea how to talk about that culturally beyond just saying that it's kind of a weird thing. It's... It's both weird and we don't ever actually get to see the real king. Mm -hmm. So we never get to see, oh, this is how the king is actually. Um, this is how someone might be able to tell that this is not actually the king. 
Um, we only ever get to see the faux king. Maybe if that happened, there could have been more interesting story. Yeah, I mean... Uh, uh, but, like, um, I don't know. I think King John, is a, I mean, he's not really a character in this. He he is the red herring right, I mean, to the master. So, I will I will ask you, just kind of wrapping up, just because I have yeah. nothing else to say about this. Uh, I, I kept thinking about this story uh-huh. when um, Robot of Sherwood happened. Right. Uh, you know, it's kind of a, clearly Gatiss is, is drawing on this story specifically in, yeah. in Robot of Sherwood. And I think, you know, watching this, I'm honestly, I'd rather watch this than Robot of Sherwood again. Um, I really didn't like Robot of Sherwood. Well, and I liked Robot of Sherwood because I did like that Clara enjoyed the fairy tale aspect right. of it. Um, and. Uh, however, it focused on the actual history of, like, there is a Robin Hood. Well, it's still kind of theme park history. And though, it was very like theme it's... park history. And I appreciate that, and I thought it was cute and all, but I have to say it's much more entertaining, I think, to watch Tegan be like, this is all cute and great, but I'm fucking cold. And uh, because I think, like, if you were to go back into the past, I I, I think that would be the first thing you notice. You wouldn't be sitting there being like, oh, it's magical and it's everything I ever dreamed of and pretty and blah, blah, blah. It's, You'd be like, no. I've got shit on my shoes and it's really yeah, fucking cold there's cat, the There's horseshit and, everywhere. Oh, it kind of smells. There's that cold. guy with cancer in his face because there's no such thing as medicine at this yeah. time. Wow, everything, everybody looks a little filthy. <laughs> um, the air smells funky. Nobody's I'm, really over the age of 30. I don't know why. Yeah. I feel like a, a village elder here. So I like that it confronts this even in a silly way. Right. Um, and, you know, it gets there quickly. If it's a season finale, I, I definitely understand it more. There, when I, I, I think it's funny how Classic Who kind of treated season finales as um, they're a little bit fluffy on the plot so that you can just be like, oh, there's going to be a twist the whole time. And then they try and... I, I think you're supposed to think King John is somehow going to be the master, but then he's not. He's being controlled by the master, and then we get the big surprise, which is Robot Man. Um, <laughs> with, like, full-on sculpted kind of six-pack and crotch and everything, so... We'll talk more about Chameleon in the episode where he leaves. Yeah. Uh, we'll get there. We'll yeah. do that one. All right. That's so, about it. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. Um, Yay, Tegan. I'm glad we didn't cover. We probably watching this. I was kind of surprised. I'm like, you know, we could probably fill an episode with this, but why bother? Yeah, no. I mean, I really liked Turlo in the last minute of that episode where he had lines and was with the other characters <laughs> for a little bit. Um, so I'm interested to seeing more of the Turlo relationship um, progress. Yeah. Well, but I mean, most of this most of this episode just made me be like, okay, so. They're setting up some interesting character dynamics, really, between the companions and the Doctor. They're not really focusing on the narrative of what's going on in this episode. It's like Tegan asserts that even though she's been whining this whole time, she does want to stay. Turlo, even though he's acting very much like one of the gang now, is like, oh, but I want to go home. And now they have a robot man. And it's like, I understand, like, oh, okay, this was all a way to wrap up this season so that you can say, and what will they do next? (laughs) Yeah. All right. That's it, I think. Yeah. Back to the five doctors. Back to the five doctors. 
Uh, the only thing I will say is I can't see an Iron Maiden in uh, medieval Britain and not think of a Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> All right, back to the five doctors. Back to the five doctors. Peace, y'all. Peace. So anyway, I hope you guys enjoy that little segment on uh, the King's Demons. So let's just move on to the five doctors. Yep, that's that's where I'm at. Shayna, what did you think of the five doctors? You ask me that, and I want to say, well, it was a rollicking good time. That's um, exactly what it was intended to be. Yeah, um, there is a lot that I liked about it, and there was a lot that I liked about it for the exact reasons you think. Um, I was very happy to see Sarah Jane again. I was very happy to see Troughton again, and to get him in the big coat. And, um, I was a little annoyed with the actor who was like recreating Hartnell essentially. Richard Herndall. Um it's not really Richard Herndall's fault. It's not his fault as much as the way that they have some of the writing poking fun at the first doctor and I'm like dude, the first doctor was not as sexist as some of the later doctors. Anyway. And he was obsessed with teaching little puzzles to the audience. That's yeah. all that's all the first doctor did throughout um, his run was but I do talk think about it's... pie and, you know, static electricity and reflecting uh, laser beams and, you know. I do think it's interesting, though, that um, it is a very different kind of memory that existed at that point in time than we have now. Right, um, I mean... It's not like there are people obsessively watching the first season at this time. You know, there was no way to there was no way to revisit it. None yeah. of the first Doctor stuff. I mean, VHS. I think at the time this aired, I I looked up and I mm-hmm. believe this is true. Only one story ever had been released on VHS. Wow. Uh, obviously DVD was still you know fifteen years into the future or so. Uh, and I mean, there there's just there's just no. I mean, nobody would have seen the first Doctor stories, those black and white stories, for yeah. a decade. So it's interesting to think that these characters uh, are really based on caricatures there, of what they remember. There was a repeat about a year and a half earlier called The Five Faces of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Or what they did was they aired a, like five different stories oh. that uh, kind of highlighted some stuff. And it's uh, actually four of them we've covered on this podcast before. Um, we didn't do the Crotons, which is the second Doctor story they showed. But they did an Unearthly Child. They did the Crotons. They did uh, Carnival of Monsters. Uh-huh. They did the Three Doctors. And there's one more I'm missing. But those are the ones they did. Mm-hmm. Well. So audiences would have, like, seen, but it would have been, like, this thing, like, you know, oh, look at this old, old stuff, you know. And there's there's something that I like about, uh, I said uh, when we were watching it that it felt a bit like Christmas, and I meant, I meant that in more than one way. It was clearly, like, made for fans. Like, they are, they brought back the characters that you wanted to see. Um, well, maybe not all of them, but the fact that they did have Susan, um, and... This the is way the that... only other time that Susan played there that Carol Ann Ford came back to the show. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's been a big finish, but this is the only time, yeah. like, as, like, Cola, she came back after she left in the Dalek invasion. Yeah. Uh, I, I think she's really, I mean, very early on, she says, Grandfather. And I, d- I think I smacked you because I was like, ah! Um, go, go ahead. Go ahead and do your Susan Grandfather. <laughs> Nicely done. Um... She she breaks a heel at one point. Like, yeah. uh, uh, she's still very clumsy, but I, I do love that there's still like a grace 
that they are treated with and that like she looks damn classy. Um, I think it's funny because Sarah Jane has something that is ultimately a little childish and highly feminine looking. And then you have... Well, she was coming off that K-9 and Company TV show. Yeah. So pilot that that was all they, they made. And, you know, so, so K-9's hanging around and, you know, like... So there's a little bit of that different, um, you know, oh, she settled down into her journalist life uh, feel <laughs> about her, maybe. Um, but seeing the brig, getting to revisit all these characters, and also then having Tegan and uh, Turlo, who suddenly get along very well mm-hmm. and I, I don't know I, I feel like maybe some time has passed i mean this is supposed to be right after the events of the king's demons where they they say we're going to go to the eye of orion and then <sighs> they go to the eye of orion you know like maybe they were there a while i mean <laughs> there you know there are some episodes of doctor who i'm thinking of a i'm thinking of a first doctor story in particular where like they go to ancient greece just to chill out oh it's not Greece, it's Rome. Rome. It's the Romans. The Romans, that's why I couldn't remember which one it was. I was in the wrong country. Wrong empire. Wrong empire, rather, yeah. So the Romans, uh, but they do have an establishing line of like, oh, it's been such a wonderful couple of weeks, or, yeah, you know. I mean, they're there for months. Months. The Romans, yeah. And I actually really like that idea that sometimes that they go off in the TARDIS and they, like, have little vacations. Um, I mean, they have Orion. I mean, they they establish as, like, the most tranquil spot in the universe or something. Which I love for Churlo is, like, sitting on uh, the ruins of some kind of building. And I I don't know if he was sketching or writing. I think he's sketching. Being artistic. But anyway, so, like, you have all these just very fun kind of fluffy things at the beginning. And it's total fan bait, but I liked it. And I thought that a lot of it was well done, except for, I mean, like I said, I was prickly about the first doctor's uh, presentation. Um, Uh, But we can talk about that. So just, just to let you know, and I guess the audience know, I have no like overarching um, thing I'm going to say about this. We're really just going to chat about it for a while until we like there. I mean, you can talk about... Okay, let's talk about the plot briefly. Mm-hmm. Barusa is evil. Mm-hmm. We, we finally get that. Oh, yeah. Um, Rassilon, uh, kind of uh, maybe evil, still kind of the mythical guy. He ends up kind of... Um, you know, I didn't follow the plot. Like, and, and that's kind of what I was about to say is, you know, I always looked Tegan. I felt that in this episode, Tegan got to be a little bit more... Um, hip and with it and she kind of had i mean i guess it would have been a little post that era but she kind of has the late 70s early 80s rocker like between the pixie cut and a mullet (laughs) um and she i I don't know i think she looks like uh kind of like a rocker compared to the others in this so i i think there's a really unique kind of visual story that goes on Mm -hmm. in the beginning uh, and then as you start to actually having to focus on this plot with the master and the master being used to save the doctor, I I got less and less interested. So just to let you know about the kind of yeah. the, the writing history of this, uh, Robert Holmes was going to write a, a, a script. It was going to be called The Six Doctors. And that was because there was going to be a robot duplicate of one of the doctors. Uh, and apparently the Cybermen were going to be, like, heavily involved. There was actually going to be a plot around the Cybermen. Mm. Robert Holmes could not make his script work. Like, it just, you know. Most people kind of suggest that, like, Robert Holmes probably got really ambitious and was Mm -hmm. trying to do something, like, really complex with Mm -hmm. this. 
they gave it to Terrence Dix, old uh, reliable workhorse Terrence mm-hmm. Dix. Uh, Terrence Dix basically said, all anybody cares about this is, is there some semblance of a plot? <laughs> and do we get to see everybody again? Yeah. And it's going to be just a ton of fun. The storyline makes very little sense. It's ultimately just an excuse to get everybody back on screen together again. It's everything but the kitchen sink, and even the kitchen sink at some points. It's, uh... I don't know that I ever felt that it was that over the top, because for me, it was... I mean, you start off with so many characters that are placed basically onto a chessboard together. Right. I mean, it it moves pretty fast between Mm -hmm. them. I mean, it's not so much that, you know... I think the real challenge was that people's availability kept changing, you know? Mm-hmm. And so someone's like, oh, no, no, we have to write in, uh, like, um, Fraser Hines and Wendy Padbury got written in at the last minute, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they get to be this, like, projection thing. And I think Carolyn John and uh, Richard Franklin mm-hmm. um, got written in very late in the process. And so it's like, okay, you're there for, basically you got them for an hour. Mm-hmm. Give them four lines of dialogue. Done. You know, like, so So there's a lot that's, there's a lot of stuff to get. I mean, this has the Master, it has Daleks, it has Cybermen, it has Perusa, it has Rassilon, uh, it has a Yeti. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, as far as the, the Daleks the, the and Rassin the Cybermen. The Warrior Robot, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really understand why they brought all those in except for to bring them all in. That, that's, that, that's the point I'm making. Um, that, that, that's the whole point of this. I think that there would have been a more interesting way, there could have been a more interesting way to do this mm-hmm. and focus just on, um, you know, building Time Lord history, which well, we don't get really into Time Lord world building. I mean, we have, um, but we haven't in a while, I guess. I, I, I really. Well, I didn't show you Ark of Infinity, but you saw that we, we've been back on Gallifrey in the last year, like at the beginning of the most previous year. There's a story called Ark of Infinity where we come back to Gallifrey. So, I mean, it, this isn't quite as, as long as, as you might think it's been. But okay. before that, it had been just since the invasion of time. Well, so I think, like, for me, that there is definitely some flab that could have been cut. Could it still have been incorporated visually in some way? Absolutely. I have... I don't see there being any issue like walking into a Time Lord building and being like, oh, look, here is a Dalek from this era of your life. I mean, they could have had any kind of cheesy, like, these were the uh, enemies that you fought the most um, excuse to have them in there. And that's fine. But yeah, I mean, it, it becomes pretty obvious pretty quickly. Like, there is no plot. We are just watching these characters put on, like, little nostalgia vignettes. To me, I compare this, I mean, the five-ish doctors, mm-hmm. kind of. I mean, I, I guess I guess I always compare this to the 50th anniversary stuff, mm-hmm. because it's very clear that this is sort of the model of kind of the way that the 50th anniversary worked, where the 50th anniversary, like, suddenly we're rewriting big sections of kind of Time Lord history, and we're giving us, you know, the uh, the Time War Never Happened thing, and or, you know, yeah. the wasn't destroyed, and but ultimately, the whole point is like, oh, and then we're going to bring back David Tennant and have David Tennant, you know, be not exactly how David Tennant's Tenth Doctor was, but kind of the way that people want to remember the Tenth Doctor. And uh, there's Certain a lot of that people going on want here. to remember the Tenth Doctor. Fucking emo hair. Well, I mean, and, and like, you know, fucking Queen Elizabeth, you know. Like yeah. Sort of, you know, because the Tenth Doctor was all about, like, hitting on every woman that moved. Particularly the rich and powerful ones. That was really the the key to understanding the Tenth Doctor, right? 
I mean, I could see how there could be some people who I mean, there would was, say there get, was there was Madame de Pompadour. Yeah, like he was totally fucking her. And apparently, Marilyn oh, right. Monroe. That was a Moffat script. <laughs> Marilyn Monroe was the eleventh Doctor. Anyway, anyway, now we're completely off on another topic. This is um, the, this podcast episode will kind of be structured like the Five Doctors, where it's just everything thrown in at once. I think he did this on purpose. I mean, I have, I have no, I have no structure here. Really. Yeah. Like, you know, um, usually, I, I provide structure. Uh, there's, there's no. So the way that no Daniel point. has provided some structure is we actually have the episode playing on mute in the background, which we've <laughs> never done before, uh, except for when we were commenting on it. We did our live commentary for Robot. We did that. Yeah, uh, I did think one interesting thing was to see Sarah Jane as Pertwee's companion again. Mm-hmm. Um. Even though Pertwee gets this jacket that makes it look like he's an old man wearing a blanket the whole time. Um, the, 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 I am the five doctors, at least the first half of the five doctors, is very much about a se- sequential row of amazing coats. That's, yes, it's true. There are a lot of really great coats in, in the five doctors. Fascinating coats, even. Um, Sarah Jane's uh, clear purple pinky plastic rain slicker yep. thing. You know, we get a little bit of Ramona too, which, you know. Well, whatever. that was from Shada. That was from Shada, right? Yeah. Um, Shada, sorry, the, the fans will know. I, I kind of told you about this. We didn't watch Shada. Yeah. I'm thinking when we do Shada, we're going to do the Eighth Doctor uh, Big Finish one because there was a version of it that was done by the Eighth Doctor. So we might eventually cover that if people want to listen to it. Um, listen to us talk about it. We might do the uh, the big finish um, when we talk about Shadow, but but ultimately, I I think with this, I, I felt very much like a classic Who fan girl watching this. Um, so there was a part of me that just kind of felt proud <laughs> because at the beginning, I'm like, I know all these people. I understand why this is funny, and I understand why. Damn it, I'm kind of annoyed with that. And you know, it's, uh, it's very much the response of fandom to. The yeah. five doctors. I mean, you know, it, 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 that, that's just kind of what this there, is. There's such clear fan service in this. And Tegan uh, looks super cute. And I think that that's kind of part of the fan service is it's like, let's just put her in something that's like really um, trendy. And I like know. Susan and her. We're actually just looking at, at Susan now and her uh, trench coat. Trench coat. Mm-hmm. I really want to see a Susan Foreman P.I. TV show based on. <laughs> The way she looks in that uh, that coat. Well, I mean, I think the unfortunate part about this being uh, the... What's the title? <laughs> the Five Doctors? The Five Doctors. The Five Doctors. I almost said the Five-ish Doctors. That's why I got confused. You know, both the, the most positive and most negative thing about this being essentially a Doctor Who special... I mean, that's what this is. Is that it's a is that it's a special. So, you know, we don't have any time to hear what Susan's been up to. We don't well, have time to get more with these characters, really, um, more than caricatures of themselves. So it's like on one hand really interesting because I do like the idea that the Doctor's different eras would have a hard time working together because mm-hmm. they have slight differences in personality and i actually liked some of davison's kind of apologetics even though i didn't like how the first doctor seems like such a dick i liked how 
the other doctor handled it with his companions of being like, dude, he's an old man. He gets, he gets cranky. So I'm sorry in advance, but like, please don't piss off my first self. And I liked that dynamic of it, but I liked it because I had not got to see that from Davison yet. So right. it's it really is oddly um, a good showcase for the fifth Doctor. I mean, Davison is the current Doctor, and so he gets to be the star of it. And he would have been, I mean, arguably Troughton steals it out from under him at well, some yeah. points. You know oh, I mean? God. Troughton's just phenomenal. But... Well, because Troughton walks on the fucking screen and you don't look at anybody else. Right. And therefore, they just stick him with Nicholas Courtney uh, crawling through uh, tunnels for, for most of his section. Yeah, which is honestly great because I love him talking to the brig and singing uh, childhood songs to remember directions to places. So, interestingly here, just, just to, as long as just to kind of make a conversation here, um, it's it's interesting to me how much, like, who doesn't come back? Now, I, yeah. I sometimes, I jokingly refer to this as the three and a half doctors, because uh, Tom Baker didn't come back for this. Um, yeah. Tom had only been gone for the show, from the show, in, for two years. Yeah. So I kind of understand, like, you know what, I, I was there for seven, I, I'm not coming back after just two years. Mm-hmm. I kind of get that. So they, thankfully, they had this little bit of shot of that they could like just edit in and you know just call it mm-hmm. new footage. And then obviously William Hartnell had died by this point, so right they just um, they just recast him. So I do call this the three and a half doctors. But uh, you notice Leela isn't here. Yeah, Leela's on Gallifrey. Like remember she got left on Gallifrey. Yeah, that's that's weird that she isn't. I, uh, I... Romana isn't here. Well, but Romana too is well, kind she, of from that footage in Shada, but like they didn't bring back Mary Tam. They didn't bring back yes. You know. Well, and you know, I think of looking at the fiftieth anniversary special and who didn't come back. Right. Um. You know the not so sneaky disappearance of the ninth Doctor. Right. I get that Tom Baker didn't want to come back, and honestly, there was a segment of fandom that was mad at him for like twenty years over the fact that he didn't come back to this. And and that's really silly, but whatever. I mean, I understand why Tom Dick Baker didn't come back, but I do think just as I was a little upset, even though understanding that Eccleston didn't come back, mm-hmm. um, I understand <laughs> that you as a as an individual. As a performer, have some choices you need to make, and there's timing and all that. However, I think having this kind of piece of, you know, we are actively trying to reunite all these people over these years. Uh, I know you were just gone, but like, come back just for a little bit. I I think there is this feeling of, I understand you just left, but this is actually quite momentous for a lot of people. Right. But, you know, that's the price of being an artist is you have to put your art and your idea of what's good for you above anybody else. And Well, I think I think Tom Baker was really concerned at this point with being typecast as, mm-hmm. as just, you know, the fourth doctor. Mm-hmm. That was certainly not something that actually happened to him in his life. He was right. certainly not just typecast by this role he did for seven years for, you know, the rest of his career. Yeah. Um. I don't. I don't know. I. I don't. I mean. I understand why Tom Baker didn't want to come back, but John Nathan Turner like sidelining Louise Jameson and Mary Tam, and uh, I mean the Fourth Doctor is like almost completely absent from these. Like the entire seven years of the program 
is almost completely sidelined from this. Well, and, you know, that is part of the writer's inability to say, okay, well, how do we have these characters when we don't have their doctor? And I think that we think of the companions differently now. I think that the companions do have lives beyond just their time with the doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we are told a lot more, even if it is intuitively and often underwritten. I think this has opportunities to continue to give these characters stories, and it's another opportunity where, unfortunately, it's another situation where you have an opportunity to take these female characters and give them depth, and instead we go for the timey-wimey, look-at-all-the-men-point-fingers-at-each-other plot. Yeah. But, dude, what can you expect? <laughs> I was pretty happy to see, what's the car's name? Bessie? Bessie, yep. Bessie yeah. comes back. I mean, I, I always forget, you know, it's weird because the Master is kind of arguably the, the kind of the, the plot, you know, it's kind of about the Master kind of coming in and, and fucking shit up to some degree. Uh, I, I, I always kind of forget he's in this. I, I mean, I really just kind of think of it as, like, mostly about the Gallifreyan side of things. Then, all right, the Master is in this, and he justifies half the plot. But, um, he is. And uh, I think Ainley's, this is one of Ainley's better performances as the Master, quite honestly, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, well, I mean, I think it helps that he, he's given depth. Like, okay, hey, you know you're a villain, but you're not just standing here to be some vaudevillian villain over the top, you know, fucking rolling your curly Q mustache, as he is in others. And in this, you have to be that villain who is also then saving your arch enemy. Right. Um, and that actually gives him something to work with. He's um, also not the main course here, whereas the ma- so many of the Master stories just tend to be like, and then there's the Master. Yeah, and so... I just think they have lots of really interesting pieces that they just couldn't figure out how to put together. I think it's really obvious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very obvious that this is just everything thrown together into one pot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just supposed to make you happy because it's all thrown together in one pot. And it does, but, you know, th- there are versions of this that I'm sure could have been a lot better and a lot more interesting, but... It it doesn't feel like it was meant to be, it didn't feel like the goal was like, let's make this truly iconic if we're getting all these people together. Right. Um, which it might have been if Tom Baker was there and maybe the script would have changed because of that some, but. Well, if Robert Holmes had been able to finish his script, I think he would have done something really, really interesting. Isn't it? You know, I kind of slag on the three doctors a little bit and it's just kind of being like, yeah, the whole point is just to get. You know, the three doctors in a room and have them joke at each other. But the, the Omega plot is really interesting. And the mm-hmm. Omega character is really interesting. And I sometimes feel bad about the way we covered that because we kind of just goofed off about the three doctors when we, uh, when we covered that one. But there's nothing here. I mean, this is the last time we see the Time Lords in the classic series. We're not going to see the Time Lords again basically until the end of David Tennant's years. It's, I mean, big finish, obviously. And, the books, but yeah. yeah, um, I don't know. That feels coincidental. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, shot in Wales. Oh, that's, that's why it's this, so pretty. That's where all this, all this outdoor shooting is done, and um, apparently the most uh, tranquil spot in the universe is in Wales. <laughs> yeah, no, I've heard as much um, from my Welsh friend. You know, I like 
I mean, there there are also my biases that play into it. I don't I don't really like this version of the Cybermen. Um, well, you don't really like the '80s Cybermen at all. No, yeah. um, that's part of why Earthshot never showed up. <laughs> Our Earthshot, not yeah. Know. It just it it did it does not capture my attention. But yeah, I really don't have anything else to say about it. How about Flavia? Flavia. Flavia. The uh, the female Time Lord, the Time Lady here. Who uh, gets to become acting president at the end? Wow, I missed that. Yeah, you you really liked this. I mean, I'll I'll tell the audience like yeah. Shana really was into this in the first like half hour or so, yeah. like really liking seeing everybody and then again. At one and point, I just nosedived and the, I was out. The, the Shana did not care about the plot at all. No. Um. Uh. This is the uh, only time the third Doctor battles the Cybermen at all. He never he never battled the Cybermen on screen. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's just not a third Dr. Cyberman story until you get here. And then, of course, I think there are some big finishes or some novels and stuff. But this is the only time on screen the third Doctor deals with the Cyberman. Okay. Uh, there's a ton of trivia for this. Like, if you go look at the, the TARDIS wiki yeah. page, I mean, it's just filled with trivia. Well, and that's I why... I don't think there's really any reason to just list the trivia, though. I right. mean, like, ultimately, I I really do. I'm sitting... We're, we're watching this mute, and I'm sitting... and. I enjoy it as much on mute as I do listening to what they say to some degree because it is just getting to see them play around in a pretty place and they're all in their fun outfits and, you know, it. if I try and take it more seriously than that, there's just not enough there. There, I mean, there's a really, there's really very little story so, here. Except Barusa ends up being evil, which is, you know, kind of the big, the big story. Um, Flavia's pretty awesome. Wasn't Barusa evil last time? He's kind of semi-evil. I mean, you know, he's kind of... He's just a twit? Well, he was... He's kind of duplicitous in a way, you know? Um, A lot of people really give a shit about things like Time Lord mythology. I do not. I'm not someone who really cares at all. So, like, Um, would somebody be upset if I just said, like, Barusa, Barusa the twat of all time? That should be his title. You can call him that. That's fine with me. Barusa, the twat lord. <laughs> the twat lord. <laughs> That's all I got for us. <laughs> Final thoughts about the uh, the King's Demons or about uh, the Five Doctors? Uh, you know, not really. I think um, it was interesting to watch the Five Doctors because, I, I mean, clearly we had the Three Doctors. Um but you're kind of starting to see what is now a tradition of like there being that unique sort of set apart Doctor Who special episode mm-hmm. or Doctor Who special stories, right? Um, that break the fourth wall a bit and are a bit cheeky and yeah. um tongue in cheek. Uh, you, that is kind of a genre of Doctor Who episode. This is definitely kind of. It coming really into a little bit more focus, I think. But other than that, um, yeah, like you said, I enjoyed like the first half, and then after that, I was just like less and less interested. That's what it is. Next week we will have some episode. I'm not sure exactly what we're covering. Next week we might miss a week. Uh, we're having some personal life uh, scheduling issues, but there will be some episode of Voice Spaceman at some time in the not too distant future. And until then, I'm sorry we didn't get any more serious than this, but the Three and a Half Doctors doesn't deserve any more work than this. See you next week. The TARDIS is closed. Bye!
Our theme music is the Doctor Who theme on Minimoog by James Bragg. Find his YouTube channel at youtube.com slash hyperdust7 and his website at phoenix-flare.com. Daniel is also a regular host of the They Must Be Destroyed on Site movie podcast, which you can find at tmbdos.podbean.com. You can find all Oi Spaceman episodes on iTunes or at our website oispaceman.libsyn.com and our podcast blog is at oispaceman.wordpress.com. You can email us at oispacemanpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com, and you can find our individual Twitter accounts at Daniel Lee Harper and Inkyosa, that's I-N-K-Y-O-S-A. Comments and questions, welcome.